Hello there, this is episode 45 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have chapter 3 of Half Magic by Edward Eager. Chapter 3. What Happened to Mark? Of course, it didn't work out that way at all. In the morning, Jane was so tired from her midnight vigil that she slept right through breakfast. Their mother, who was tired too, thought Jane needed the rest and told Miss Bick not to call her. Miss Bick looked disapproving as usual, but did as she was told. The children's mother went off to work, and Catherine and Martha, under protest, washed and dried the breakfast dishes without the usual charming companionship of their elder sister. Catherine was the washer, and Martha the dryer. "'I'd like to know what's going on around here,' Catherine complained over the cereal bowls. "'Lights on at all hours, and Mother and Jane holding secret midnight conspiracies in the living room.' I heard them, and now, mother letting Jane stay in bed half the morning, I don't know what this house is coming to. It's that magic. It's mysterious. I don't like it, Martha said. Catherine had reached the awful pans that needed scouring now, and Martha went away and left her with them, as is the traitorous habit of all dish dryers. She went into Jane's room. Drawn shades and a huddled form in the bed greeted her. Wake up she said to the form, in a half-hearted way. "'Go away,' said Jane, from under a sheet and blanket. Martha felt depressed. Carrie the cat had followed her into the room. Carrie's full name was Carrie Chapman Cat. Catherine had seen—whoops! Catherine had named her after a famous lady whose name she had seen in the newspaper. Carrie was a fat, not very interesting cat, kept mainly for mousing purposes, and the children ordinarily paid very little attention to her, or she to them. But this morning everything was so gloomy and strange that Martha felt the need of comfort. She sat down on the floor, leaned her head back against the open door of Jane's closet, took Carrie in her lap, and stroked her. There was a silence, except for the heavy breathing of Jane. Martha felt a wish for companionship. "'Oh, dear, if you could only talk,' she said to Carrie. "'Perks,' said Carrie the cat. "'Wah, umerglitz, fitza!' "'What?' said Martha, startled. "'Wah, umerglitz,' said Carrie. "'Whittle, whiffy "'Oh,' said Martha, "'oh!' She got up dropping Carrie rather heavily to the floor, and backed away, white with horror. "'Foo!' said Carrie, resentfully. "'Idwit! Adert!' Mark appeared in the doorway. "'Are my roller skates in here?' he demanded. "'Jane borrowed them last week when her strap broke.' Martha ran to him and clutched him. "'It's that magic! I've got it now!' she cried. "'I wished Carrie could talk, and now listen to her!' Carrie chose this moment to put on an offended silence. "'Bushwa,' Mark said gruffly. He had found his roller skates in Jane's shoe-bag and was putting them on. "'That old cat, she was always crazy anyway.' "'Azy Uzelfitz,' said Carrie suddenly. Mark looked surprised. Then he shook his head in disbelief. "'That's not talking,' he said. "'Probably just having a fit or something.' "'But I wished she could talk, and then it began, like Jane yesterday.' "'Just a coincidence,' said Mark. "'Yesterday, too. I don't believe in that old magic. "'Just Jane being smart. Just a lot of crazy girls.' 
He banged away through the house and out the front door on his skates. Miss Bick could be heard following in his wake and lamenting the fate of the floor polish. Martha gave up. <clears throat> There was no sense in appealing to Mark in this mood. Sometimes he got tired of being the only boy in a family of girls, and when that happened there was no comfort in him. But she refused to be left here alone with the sleeping Jane and the gibbering Carrie. Or could Mark have been right? Was it just a coincidence? She looked at Carrie doubtfully. Did you say something? she inquired politely. Iddle whittle backsbicks, said Carrie. Wah, oom, poets or grandpa. Martha fled the room, calling for Catherine. Catherine met her in the hall. Don't talk to me, she said. Pan shirker. Oh, Cathy, don't be cross, Martha entreated. Something terrible's happened. I've got it now, only it comes all wrong. And she told Catherine of the behavior of Carrie. The two sisters, clutched in each other's arms, cautiously approached the door of Jane's room and looked in. Carrie was still there, pacing the floor, lashing her tail, and muttering a horrid monologue. Iddle whittle becksbacks, she was saying. Grandpa, foos, idwits, oo fitswana talkwits, in a fits place anna who. She seemed to be trying desperately to express herself. It was agony to watch and still worse to hear. This can't go on, said Catherine. She strode courageously into the room, making a wide circle around the still muttering Carrie, approached the huddled figure in the bed, and shook it. Fits it you, said Jane. Now she's doing it, Martha wailed from the doorway. Catherine looked shaken. I think it's just sleep talk, she said. The time has come for desperate measures. Let me, said Martha, glad to get away from the doorway, even for a second. She ran to the bathroom and fetched a wet sponge. Avoiding the sputtering Carrie, she ran back to the bed and trickled the sponge upon Jane. Jane sat up in bed and struck her sister full in the face. In the tears and apologies and mopping up that followed, Jane awoke sufficiently to be engaged in sensible conversation and to notice the gurglings and spittings of Carrie. What did somebody do? Wish she could talk? she asked. Yes, I did. How did you know? Martha stared in amazement. How did you happen to find the charm? Who told you you could go through my things? I didn't. I don't know what you mean. Wait a minute. Where were you standing when you wished it? I wasn't. I was sitting down. And Martha showed her where. You must have leaned back and touched it. Touched what? said Martha. What charm? said Catherine. The charm in the shoe bag, said Jane. Wait till I tell you. She told them. I don't see how you're so sure, said Martha, when she had finished. About mother last night, I mean. She just as good as said so, said Jane, and I Sherlock Holmes to the rest. Don't you see? She wished she were home, and ended up halfway home. I wished there'd be a fire, and got a little fire, a child size fire. Martha wished Carrie could talk, and she can half talk. Wah, oom, fits battle axe, remarked Carrie. <clears throat> Exactly, said Jane. It's that nickel I found, only it isn't a nickel. It's a magic charm, and it does things by halves. 
"'So far we've each got half of what we wished for. "'All we have to do from now on is ask for twice as much as we really want. "'You see?' "'I haven't had fractions yet,' said Martha. "'Jane explained further. "'Martha became weary of the explanation. "'What would twice as much as never having to learn fractions be?' "'She wanted to know at last. "'Don't be silly.' <coughs> "'Don't be silly. You don't want to ask it things like that,' Catherine cried in scorn. "'Nobody's going to ask for anything till we talk it over and decide,' Jane announced firmly. "'We don't want to waste any more wishes. We can't tell how soon we might wear it out. We'll make plans, and then take turns. My turn yesterday doesn't count, because I didn't know. I get to go first, because I'm the oldest.' "'What would twice as much as not being the youngest any more be?' was the bitter question of Martha, who was tired of always coming last. But the others paid her no heed. "'I mean to ask for all kinds of really wonderful, exciting, important things,' Catherine was saying, "'only I'm not sure just what yet.' "'Idgewitz, Selfitz, fits me fits,' said Carrie suddenly. They looked at her in remorse— Now that they knew the reason for them, her outcries weren't so alarming any more. They'd even almost forgotten about her. But in spite of the fact that she seemed to be learning to express herself a little more clearly, she was plainly so enraged by her half-talking state that something had to be done. "'Poor Carrie. I'll fix you up first of all,' Jane promised. "'The charm's right in here.' She put her hand into the shoe-bag. But it wasn't. She put her hand into another compartment— The charm wasn't there either. She began wildly searching through all the different sections, taking out pairs of shoes and shaking them. The magic thing wasn't in any of them. Jane began to get in one of her rages. "'Really, what a house!' she cried. <clears throat> "'Nothing ever stays where you put it. Has Miss Bick been cleaning my room again?' "'No,' she said it needed it, but it was beyond her. "'Mark!' was the next thought of Jane." I wondered where he was. Has anyone seen him? I did, reported Martha. He came in here and got his roller skates just a few minutes ago. Roller skates? Jane's voice was a wail. <clears throat> They were in the shoe bag. He must have found the charm and taken it. A person might as well be living in a den of thieves around here. "'I don't think he did,' Martha said. "'He said the whole thing was just a coincidence.' "'He probably never noticed the magic charm at all,' Catherine pointed out reasonably. "'He probably just put the skates on, with it in one of them, "'where you probably put it in the dark last night, without realizing. "'It probably got stuck down there in the tightening part. "'It's probably still there, only he probably doesn't know. "'He'll probably make a wish pretty soon, and then suddenly—' "'Stop!' Jane could bear no more. "'We've got to find him, before he wishes for some awful thing and gets half of it. Where do you suppose he could have gone?' Jane was rushing into her clothes now. "'Wah! Mefits! Mefits!' said Carrie crossly. "'All right, we'll take you along.' Martha, who was beginning to understand Carrie's half-language, hoisted her up under one arm. They met Miss Bick in the hall. "'Where are you taking that cat?' she wanted to know. "'Idgewit! Foo! Fits out of the way, Fits!' said Carrie savagely. Miss Bick backed away, turning pale. "'That cat is ill!' she cried. 
"'I know. We're taking her to the vets,' Catherine called back over her shoulder. Like everything else lately, the lie was only half an untruth. They were taking Carrie to be cured, if the charm could cure her. The children emerged from the house and stood looking around. Fortunately, they lived on a corner lot, and could look down streets running in all four directions. But no welcome sound of whirring skate-wheels, no welcome sight of an eleven-year-old boy rewarded them. Finally they started hurrying south on Maplewood Avenue, not because south looked any more promising than east or north or west, but because they had to start somewhere. Martha tried to muffle the sounds Carrie kept making by holding her close to her, but the few passers-by they met kept turning to stare after them. "'Wah! Oom! Fitzpatrick's!' Carrie screamed at the passers-by. She almost seemed to be enjoying herself. "'Hush, hush!' Martha told her. She was having hard work running fast enough to keep up with her sisters. "'It won't be long now. At least, oh, I hope it won't!' Meanwhile, Mark had been skating around the neighborhood for some time. It was a dark, gloomy day, and he wished the sun would come out. A minute later it did sort of half-peep through the clouds. Now that he was older, roller-skating didn't seem quite the thing of whirlwind speed that it used to be back in the days when it was new to him. He wished the skates would go faster. Pretty soon it seemed as though they did, a little. But just skating around by himself wasn't very much fun. He wished all the guys were back from their vacations. He wished that when he came to the vacant lot up ahead he'd see them there, playing baseball as usual. And for a second, as he whizzed past the vacant lot, he did seem to sort of half-see a ghostly game in progress. He rounded the corner and came down his own block on Maplewood. As he passed Mrs. Hudson's house, he wished— as he'd often wished before, that just for once the iron dog in the yard would be alive, instead of only iron. Then he looked back. For a minute he thought he heard a faint muffled bark, and it seemed as though the iron tail had tried to wag. Mark guessed he must have a pretty vivid imagination, all right, the way Miss Amrine, his last year's teacher, had always said. Thinking of Miss Amrine reminded him of school. Maybe somebody'd be hanging around the playground, somebody else who hadn't gone away for a vacation. He turned at the corner and skated down Monroe Street, toward the school building. It was just after Mark turned the corner that Jane and Catherine and Martha came out of the house and started hurrying down the street. As they passed Mrs. Hudson's yard, Carrie the cat struggled out of Martha's arms and ran up to the iron dog. Yah! she cried, hissing and spitting at him. "'Fitzbully! Fitzmutt! Kerfitz!' A strangled growl came from within the iron dog, and he strained forward, trembling, as though trying to lunge at Carrie. Jane gave a, tr Jane gave a cry of triumph. "'Look!' she cried. "'It's half alive. Mark must have been here. He must have wished. Hurry up! We're on the right track!' <clears throat> Martha dragged Carrie away from the iron dog and rushed on after the others. At the corner they hesitated, then turned and ran down Monroe Street, toward the school. Mark stood looking around the playground. It was deserted, as he might have known it would be. Disappointed, he hauled himself up on the trapeze bar, <clears throat> hung by his knees, and swung head downward. He almost, but not quite, wished it were time for school to begin again, so all the kids would be back. A person might as well be on a desert island as in this empty town. 
The thought of desert islands reminded him that he hadn't re-read Robinson Crusoe yet this year. He was still thinking about Robinson Crusoe when his sisters came running into the playground. "'Thank goodness we found you in time to warn you,' Jane cried. "'What have you been doing?' Mark, still hanging head downwards, looked up at her. "'I was just wishing we were all on a desert island,' he said. Next moment the trapeze seemed to give way, and he fell heavily to the ground. But instead of landing on the scratchy gravel of the playground, he fell on hot sand. He rolled over and looked around him. His sisters sat nearby, looking only a trifle less surprised than he felt. Above, a flaming hot sun blazed in a cloudless sky. Otherwise there didn't seem to be anything anywhere but sand. "'What happened? Where are we?' he cried dazedly. Jane sighed grimly. "'You just got half a wish,' she told him. "'Desert, yes. Island, no.' Mark looked around again. It was all too true. Desert there certainly was, but no welcome sight of distant waves graced the horizon, only more sand, mile on monotonous mile of it. "'It's all right,' Jane went on a bit wearily. "'I just do wish everybody wouldn't keep wasting wishes, though. "'Take off your skates, and I'll get us home again.' "'To make Mark understand even a part of the situation "'was the work of several moments. "'They told him about the half-fire, about Mother, about Carrie. "'At last he began to believe. "'He took off one of the skates and shook it. "'Nothing happened. "'He took off the other skate and shook it. Something metal shot through the air in a bright arc, glittering in the pitiless light of the desert sun, then fell into the sand. Each of the children would have sworn that he knew just where the magic thing had fallen, and four pairs of hands set to work with a will, burrowing in the sandy hotness. One pair of paws set to work also, Carrie the cat having decided to be helpful for once. There was a good bit of getting in each other's way and arguing. Five minutes later, the magic charm had still not been found. The sand was beginning to feel hotter. Fingers were getting sorer, and tempers shorter. "'Don't crawl where I'm digging,' said Catherine to Martha. "'Don't dig where I'm crawling,' said Martha to Catherine. "'The way that charm keeps not staying put,' said Jane, "'you'd think it wanted to everything to work out wrong.' Ten more minutes passed.' "'I, for one,' said Martha, sitting back exhausted, "'will never play in a sandbox again.' "'All the perfumes of Arabia would not sweeten this old sand,' "'agreed the poetical Catherine, also sitting back. "'But we have to find it,' Jane cried, still digging desperately. "'Otherwise we'll never get home. "'We'll die of thirst, and some Arab will find our bleached bones months later "'and never know who we were.' "'I'm thirsty now,' said Martha. "'I'm hungry, too,' she added. "'How do we know this really is Arabia?' asked Mark. "'Maybe it's just Death Valley.' "'Either way,' said Jane, "'is small comfort. Keep digging. "'Though it is like looking for a camel in a needle's eye,' she admitted. "'It was then that the caravan appeared. "'It was a rather shop-worn-looking caravan, 
only three mangy camels with one ragged Arab driving them, and some very meagre, empty-looking packs on the camels' backs, but it served to make plain to the four children that they were, in fact, in that fabled wasteland they had read so... Um, let's try that again. But it served to make plain to the four children that they were, in fact, in that fabled wasteland they had read of so much, in fact, and fiction. "'Lost in the Sahara!' cried Catherine dramatically. Mark was more practical. "'Caravan ahoy!' he shouted. "'S.O.S. Help! Lend a hand!' The three mangy camels and the ragged Arab altered their course and came toward them. As they drew nearer, the four children began to wish they wouldn't. The ragged Arab's expression was crafty and definitely unattractive. As he came to a stop before them, he smiled, which made him look more unpleasant than ever. "'Bismillah,' he said. "'How?' said Martha. "'What do you think he is, an Indian?' hissed Mark under his breath. He addressed the Arab. "'Allah, Sami, show humble servant nearest oasis, chop-chop!' "'He won't understand that either. That's Chinese,' said Jane. But the Arab seemed to comprehend. "'Western children follow Ahmed,' he said. Jane refused to go. "'We can't leave the charm,' she cried. "'It's our only chance to get home.' "'We might get to a place where there's Western Union. "'We could cable Mother Collect. "'She might send for us,' said Catherine doubtfully. "'It would cost untold millions and take ages,' cried Jane. "'I won't budge from this spot. "'We'll find the magic thing if we keep looking.' "'But the Arab, Ahmed, seized her by the arm "'and propelled her, none too gently, toward the nearest camel. "'Do what he says,' Mark whispered to Jane. We have to get some water anyway. We can always find the spot again if we leave the roller skates to mark it. He didn't add that his fear was that the wind might bury the skates in sand before they could return. He didn't mention some other fears that were bothering him either. Jane allowed the Arab to help her up onto the nearest camel. Mark helped Catherine climb onto the second one, and the Arab lifted Martha onto the third. With Mark and the Arab on foot, they started away over the desert. After a bit, Jane began to enjoy the new sensation of riding camelback, and forgot the charm for the moment. Catherine, too, seemed almost happy, but the up-and-down motion made Martha seasick, and she begged to be taken down. Mark helped her off the camel, and she walked along with him. But her short legs soon tired, and her feet grew sore from the hot sand burning through the thin soles of her shoes. Mark had to half-carry her, and the going was slow. They lagged a bit behind the others. What worried Mark was that he didn't trust Ahmed the Arab. Ahmed had been all too eager to take the children with him, and Mark didn't like his smile. Presently Mark's fears were confirmed. Carrie the cat seemed to be making friends with the third camel, the one Martha had been riding. She frisked along by the camel's side. The camel leaned his head down to hers. It almost looked as though they were conversing together, the way animals undoubtedly do. A moment later, Carrie ran back to Mark and Martha. Her fur was standing on end with anger and excitement. "'Foo! Idjwitz!' she hissed at Mark. "'Fitz Ahmed! Fitz Wicked! Fitz Kidnap! Ransomowitz!' "'I was afraid of that,' said Mark. "'Who told you?' 
Fitz Camel. Martha began to cry. Don't worry, Mark told her, we'll escape somehow. But he wished he knew how. Fortunately, just then the oasis came into sight, which distracted Martha's attention. It wasn't a very big oasis, no Western Union, but there were two or three date palms and a spring of water. Everyone stopped for a welcome drink. The dates were delicious. Martha took off her shoes to cool her feet with water from the spring. There was a good deal of sand in her shoes, and as she shook it out, it was Mark who first saw the round, shining, silvery thing that fell out with it. Though he'd never had a real look at it before, he didn't need to be told what it was. His hand shot out, and he caught the charm in mid-air before it could be lost again. <laughs> Catherine had seen it a second after Mark. I told you not to crawl where I was digging, she told Martha. Jane had seen it a second after Catherine. It's the charm, she cried. Wish us home. Here, let me. But the Arab, Ahmed, was standing nearby, and had seen the shining thing, too. He strode forward, seized Mark by the wrist, and brought the silver charm close to his eyes, close enough to see the mystic marks on it. The expression of his face changed. No longer did he look like a kidnapper who was planning and plotting wickedness. He looked like a righteous man who has caught a thief in his house, or even worse, in the temple of his gods. His voice was stern. "'Western children steal sacred charm!' he cried. "'Sacred charm lost many years. Give back!' His hand closed on the charm, but Mark's hand had closed on it first. Mark said the only thing that came into his mind. "'I wish you were half a mile away!' And immediately, of course, Ahmed the Arab was half of half a mile, or a quarter of a mile, away. The children could just see him, like a tiny dot far off on the desert sands, but the dot was coming nearer as Ahmed ran toward them again. "'Quick, let me! I'll get us home! You don't know how!' Jane cried to Mark. But Mark waved her away. He was thinking. "'After all, maybe the charm did belong to his race,' he said. "'It belongs to us now,' said Jane. "'Losers, weepers, finders, keepers,' said Catherine.' "'But maybe it was stolen, from a temple or somewhere,' said Mark slowly. "'You know how people used to be unjust to natives in the olden days. "'It doesn't seem fair.' "'The others had to agree that it didn't. <clears throat> "'All except Carrie, who was seldom troubled by noble motives. "'Fitz Ahmed, Fitz Wicked,' she reminded Mark. "'After all, he was going to kidnap us,' agreed Martha.' "'He was?' cried Jane and Catherine, in surprise and excitement. "'Yes, he was, but let's not go into that now,' said Mark. "'I'll tell you later. After all, maybe he wouldn't have if he weren't poor and downtrodden. "'And we're supposed to be kind to our enemies, aren't we?' Ahmed the Arab was coming nearer now. Mark waited till he was close enough for them to see his face. Then he spoke aloud a wish he had thought out very carefully.' I wish that Ahmed the Arab may have twice as much as he deserves of whatever it is that he would wish for with this charm, Mark said. And of course the charm, to which arithmetic was as nothing, cut the wish neatly in half, and in that moment Arab uh, <laughs> and in that moment the Arab Ahmed received as much as he deserved of happiness. Suddenly there were five camels in the caravan instead of three. 
The camels were young and healthy, instead of old and mangy. The harnesses were new and trim, instead of old and worn through. The meagre, empty-looking packs bulged with rich stuffs for trading. A plump Arab lady appeared suddenly at Ahmed's side, leading six plump Arab children by the hand. She smiled coyly at Ahmed. Ahmed stopped short and looked at the caravan, at the lady, at the Arab children. He gave a great cry of happiness. On his face a look of peace replaced the old crafty shiftiness. He turned toward the east and fell on his face in the sand. His voice lifted in what sounded like a prayer of thanksgiving. And it was then that Mark, still waving away the proffered help of Jane, spoke aloud the second wish he had carefully thought out. I wish that the four of us, and carry the cat, may travel in the direction of home, only twice as far. Next thing they knew they were all sitting on their own front steps. The first thing they did was walk down the street to Mrs. Hudson's house. The iron dog still trembled in half-life on the lawn. At that moment Mrs. Hudson came out of the house, her market-basket on her arm. She took one look at the shaking dog. "'Earthquake! Earthquake!' she cried, and ran back inside the house. Mark, who was getting quite good at it, made a third wish. "'I wish that this dog,' he said, "'may be twice as alive, or twice as unalive, as it wishes to be.' Immediately the dog stopped trembling, and stood still and cold as iron, which it was again. "'Wouldn't you think it'd rather have been real?' said Catherine in wonder." "'I guess iron things are happier being iron,' said Mark, who had learned a lot in one day. The four children now turned to the case of Carrie the Cat. "'Wouldn't you like to go on talking, only plainer?' asked Martha, who had grown to enjoy her conversations with her pet. "'Natana Finstintype,' said Carrie. "'Fitz Silence Fitz Golden.' The others then decided that Mark had had enough wishes for one day, and they would take on this problem. "'I wish that Carrie the Cat couldn't talk any of the time,' said Martha, not stopping to think it out. "'Well, you certainly messed that up,' said Carrie the Cat. "'Now, of course, I can't talk half the time, but the rest of the time I can talk perfectly plainly, not that I want to, of course, but here I go, talk, 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 and here I will go for the next thirty seconds, and then thirty seconds of silence, I suppose, and then talk, talk, talk again, just as though I had anything to say, which I don't, being always one for quiet meditation myself. Still duty calls, so speak the word strippingly on the tongue, only three more seconds to go now, the rest is silence, Shakespeare.' She broke off suddenly, but only for thirty seconds. Then she began again. The children held their ears till the next silent period. Then Catherine made a hurried suggestion. "'The thing is, we want her to just mew, the way she used to,' she said. "'The thing is to think of a word that has mew for half of it.' "'I know,' said Jane, and she made a wish. "'I wish that Carrie the Cat may in future say nothing but the word music.' Sick, said Carrie the cat. Sick, 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 sick. She looked sick. Better let me, said Mark. I've had practice. He took the charm in his hand. I wish that Carrie the cat may be exactly twice as silent as she wishes to be. Mew, said Carrie the cat. Purr. And without so much as a look of gratitude at Mark for restoring for restoring her to normalcy, she hurried off after a passing robin. 
Tired but happy, the children trooped homeward. It had been a long, full day, but everything had worked out beautifully in the end. Miss Bick met them with reproaches for having stayed out all day and missed their lunch. "'Just wait till I tell your mother,' she said. And the children did. Their mother looked very grave that night when Miss Bick had told her. "'I don't want you children wandering away from the house like that again,' she said to them at dinner. "'As a matter of fact, you may as well know, something rather frightening has been happening. "'There seems to be an epidemic of kidnapping, or at least lost children. "'We kept getting reports at the paper all day from different lakes and camps and places. "'A lot of little boys have disappeared.' "'Mostly friends of yours, Mark, I'm afraid. "'Freddy Fox and Richie Gould and Michael Robinson. "'Only there's a report he turned up halfway home "'and doesn't know how he got there.' "'Mark choked suddenly on his milk and turned bright red. "'He signalled the others in a private way the four children had. "'They finished dinner as soon as they could "'and gathered in Mark's room. "'It's awful!' Mark cried, as soon as the door was safely shut. "'I just remembered. This morning I wished all the guys were home. Now there they all are, halfway home, and wandering the countryside. I've got to fix them up.' He took the charm from his pocket, where he'd put it after the last wish of the afternoon. "'I wish all the guys I wished home to be back twice as far as they were before I wished,' he said. The others agreed that that ought to do it, but Mark was still worried." "'We have to be careful from now on,' he said. "'We don't want any more mistakes. "'That could have been bad.' "'We'll hide it in a safe place,' said Jane, "'until tomorrow.' "'I know where,' said Catherine. "'She led the others to the room she shared with Martha. "'There was a loose board in the floor with a space under it "'that the children had used to hide things in "'back in the days when they were young. "'The children hid the charm in this secret place.' "'A mouse might find it and make a wish,' Martha objected. "'But the others felt that half the wish of a mouse "'could do little to upset their plans. "'They had many plans to make. "'We'll spend the night thinking up wishes,' said Jane. "'It'll be better from now on, because we all know. "'We'll make sensible wishes from now on. "'Tomorrow the real fun will begin.' "'And, in a way, it did.' And that's the end of chapter 3. Don't forget to visit me at my blog, www.kray.org. See you next time.